Hey, this is Jim Harmer, and you are listening to the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 233. Welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. We have a ton of stuff to talk about today. Uh, we're going to be kind of hauling through this this uh, podcast, so forgive us if we're talking a little bit quicker, uh, but we had so much to say. Uh, it's, it should be a good episode. In the start of the show, we're going to talk about five habits you can learn to get to the next level of landscape photography, and then after the break, we are going to take your questions on photography as well as some news desk items and, of course, the doodads of the week. To talk about it all, we have the Photo Taco podcast host, Jeff Harmon, and Hello. also Connor Hibbs, host of the Portrait Session podcast. Hey, guys. Uh, good to talk with you guys. So uh, we had an awesome article go up. Um, Nathan wrote a great article on five habits you can um, you can use to get to the next level of landscape photography. Uh, so I kind of wanted to talk about some of these things. I thought it was a very helpful article. Uh, one that I, so I always see this, uh, like every time you're seeing, you know, <laughs> tips and stuff on photography, there's always that somebody always says the tip, just shoot with one lens. And right. I almost never do it. But we had about, I think it was about a year ago, we had Michael Fry, really well-known uh, landscape photographer on the podcast. And he does these awesome, have you guys seen his, his uh, long lens landscapes? Oh yeah. His, uh -huh. his stuff is really impressive. It's so impressive because he just like, it's not so much the location for him. He's just grabbing like little random bits of, of forest and stuff. And somehow he's able to present it, you know, with the long lens, just grabbing, you know, a tree and some shrubs and stuff. And it just looks beautiful. Uh, and usually when I do it, it just like, a, looks like a mass of vegetation. <laughs> Have you guys experienced that? Yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs> it's tough to get composition i think in that he's got to have just a super eye for composition somehow yeah the, the one experience that i have doing that with landscape was at a sand dunes where i could just focus on an individual dune and get a few cool shots here and there but um yeah the, picking out of any individual composition from a whole panoramic view especially if you're somewhere that's particularly beautiful like zion uh, it's impossible for me i not my skill set. On the other hand, I do love doing uh, panoramas with a zoom lens at something like Zion. I, I think my very favorite picture of Zion is one where it was a boy, I don't know, 30, 36 different pictures uh, <laughs> zoomed in at 70 millimeters on my crop and, uh, and then glued them all together. And it was, it's awesome. I love how it looks when it's done that way. Is that, is that because of a detail thing or what, yeah, the detail, but also just like the compression about how it looks different yeah. from the wide angle. Everything looks bigger and grander and more impressive, more like I remember it when I was there rather than okay. the, how the, the wider angle makes it look puny and small. And <laughs> like <laughs> sometimes you, you look at the, the difference of how you remember it versus that. You're like, I thought it was bigger than that. Well, yeah, it was. It's just the, <laughs> the wide angle lens that you used. Yeah. So yeah, after after we talked with Michael on the podcast, and and I went out to actually it was to Zion to 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 shoot landscapes, and I kept thinking, okay, got to bust that seventy two hundred out of the bag all week, and it was awesome. Like uh, it really did help in some of my favorite trips uh, photos as well, where where long lens stuff. So it's it's the kind of tip that 
every time I hear it, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Am I really going to leave all the other lenses in the bag? But it really does help when you kind of force yourself to just get out of the norm for a while. Yeah, totally. Well, and it's more fun. Like, If people talk about getting into a rut, this can really help you not be in a rut. Use a lens that you normally wouldn't use in a situation and go figure out how to use that lens in that situation. Really fun to figure that out. Yeah. And I think that's a good situation or a good solution just in general to when you're in a rut is just to totally change up your routine for shooting. You know, if you're used to just kind of sitting down and kind of walking through this recipe, just change that routine and you'll be forced to pick up some new techniques, some new habits to replace what you normally do. And you're talking about leveling up your landscape photography. This is a look that most people aren't doing. They yep. don't, they'll take out the wide angle lens. That's why they all look very similar. And so by going something longer, it's a different technique. It's going to look a little different and it's going to level up your photography. Cool. The second tip that he had was to track the weather every day for a month. This is really helpful. Uh, I've actually been doing this. So the app that I use, uh, we talk to, I talked to a, a very well-known storm chaser on the tripod podcast a little while ago. Uh, and I asked him what app he uses for, uh, for tracking the weather. I figure like this guy is going to know, you know, what the best one is. <laughs> yeah. And he's trying he, them all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, but his favorite is radar scope and it, so this one is more advanced. The first time I tried radar scope, I was a little confused. I had to kind of get my settings right to show what I wanted it to show. But it's I I can totally agree with them. This one is far more accurate. I tried several others that like you open it up to see what you know what the clouds are like above you to plan for a sunset or something like that. And sometimes I'd look up, I see a, cl- a, a sky that definitely has some clouds in it. And you look at the radar and it shows nothing. There are no clouds. And so it really can lead you far astray if you're not using the right app or the night, uh, the right settings on that app. I, I had a non-landscape photography related issue with that just this past weekend, actually, where I was checking a number of weather apps and everything was saying, oh, sunny with a few clouds here and there. And I was shooting a color run. And then, of course, <laughs> about 10 minutes after the color run started, um, 180 degrees, like from the mountains, as far as I could see around me, there were just rain clouds that seemed to be slowly approaching. And sure enough, we got stuck in this downpour of just freezing cold rain. And finally, I, 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 I might have actually hurt my camera just a little bit, but I eventually got out of the rain and I was talking with a guy who actually had a, a nice weather tracking app. And he's like, oh, I've known about this all day. I was just waiting for it to come in. Huh. I need to keep track of that maybe a little bit more if I'm going to be outside for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So also not landscape, but I like using, and it's going to be kind of odd because it's not really weather related, but the photo pills app, uh, I'm loving to use that. So the, the specific thing that I'm doing with it, again, not landscape. I do a lot of portrait shoots out in the, in the Salt Lake Valley here. We have mountains on both sides and that can change. Like they, they have the predictions of sunrise and sunset, but most of them don't account for the mountains. Yeah. And so, so, um, you know, what kind of, golden hour are you going to get and when when you have to account for the mountains is really hard to get you can try to take like those normal times and just like do an hour subtraction or addition or something and and try to get close but it's it's ruined several shoots where like 
oh man, we have like 10 minutes of light left and we just got here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and that's not good. So, um, photo pills has been really awesome for me to be able to see. I know exactly when the shadow of the mountains are going to be covering my place because photo pills accounts for that. Yeah, I can give a big ditto on that because many times, like if I've gone uh, hiking in the mountains, like in the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho or something, I'll plan like, okay, you know, we should get to the lake around 8 p.m. Perfect. I can be there an hour early before sunset to shoot. And it's like, oh, no, the the sun was the light was gone at like 4 p.m. Because that's when it's kind of hitting the peaks. They're really tall mountains and they'll block all of the light. And so even if it's an epic place, you really have to plan what the light is going to be like in that location if you're near mountains. Right. I guess it can apply to landscape. You want to be there for those times too. And it's really, it's terrible when you go there like four or five hours beforehand and you're just going to wait all that time. You get impatient, like, gosh, what a waste of time. I don't want to be here. It's really a lot nicer when you can be there a little ahead. You don't want to be rushing, but it's not, it's, it's really tough. And I love how photo pills helped me plan that out. Yep. A visit one spot repeatedly is the next tip. And this is one that I totally need to work on. This is a major Achilles heel for me as a photographer is I get excited to go to the next spot, especially the downside to the really good photo spots app, which still we're waiting to release. still waiting on one last bug and then to Apple. (laughs) Um, But the downside of it is you always know that there are nearby cool locations to visit. And so the last several times that I've gone to shoot with it, like I'll go shoot and I'm like, ah, 20 minutes to the next spot. I think I can make it by sunset. And you don't. (laughs) (laughs) I would just be better off to pick one spot and wait it out till sunset and get the shot. But I'm too ADD. I'm impatient trying to (laughs) shoot as many locations as possible in one night. And I've got to stop that. See, I, I have a similar issue, but more just that I don't want to travel places. To, it, for me, I live in Colorado, which is a gorgeous state. But realistically, for me to get anywhere super cool for a sunset, I, I'm probably driving a minimum of an hour, um, an hour to five hours. And for me to, if I do that, whether the light is great or terrible, that photo in my mind has to be the best possible. Cause I'm not going to go back to that spot to shoot it anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I like this recommendation a lot though. Cause we're, we're again talking about increasing upping your game on landscape photography. Yeah. When you do the same location, then you're worrying, you're, you're trying to change your technique. You're working on something to make it different from the last time you were there. And that's going to really up your level for landscape photography. When you just keep traveling to different spots all the time, you're going to tend to go back to the techniques you know and just keep reusing them. So you're not really advancing your technique at all by doing that. It's, It's kind of forcing you a little bit if you go to the same place to improve your technique, whether it's composition or like technical things of settings on the camera, whatever kind of parts of your technique need work. Or even post-processing, you're going to learn a lot in post-processing. Like, how am I going to make this shot different than the last time I was there in post-processing? And I mean, even if you feel like you've gotten a great shot at a location, um, just just being there and knowing, okay, well, I got a shot from this angle, so I should explore around the area and maybe find a different composition entirely. Right. So, you know, even if you're using the same techniques, just finding different areas of different ways to create a photo in that location is useful. Because I, I know we've all seen the photos of iconic locations that seem like the exact same shot. And that's because people go there and say, well, I know that one's good. 
and I'm not coming back here anytime soon. So if you can go back and maybe try and figure something else out, something new, that that's a really cool way to move beyond what you may have done prior previously. Yeah. And that's what I, this is the perfect application of this for me is like when I'm going on a little vacation with the family, even if we just, you know, rent a uh, hotel and somewhere that we in driving distance just to go for a couple days. If I can plan to get that hotel near a really cool photo spot, um, then I could go shoot it each morning for four days um, right. instead of, you know, taking time away from family to, to take one whole day to go shooting where I'm going to get a bunch of random shots of that are okay at a bunch of locations. If each morning I can wake up before sunrise and shoot one location right by the hotel, I'm probably going to end up with a better photo overall. Yeah. All right. Find opportunities to immerse yourself in photography. I think this is really big. Uh, for me, this isn't so much of an issue because I'm always immersed in <laughs> photography from time I wake up to time I go to sleep. Uh, but for I think for the vast majority of photographers, like this is the issue. This is the thing holding a lot of photographers back is, you know, you shoot when you have time. You're busy. You have a day job. You're doing other thing. You may be dreaming about going on photography, but it's tough <laughs> to get out. And so you get lots of short bits of practice here and there where you pick up the camera, but you never really get just one full week to really be immersed in photography. And, uh, that that's really, I think where some of the very best learning is going to happen when you have opportunities like that. So whether you're, you know, going to plan a road trip, uh, and make this an inexpensive thing and you stay at campsites and sleep in the car or whatever, and you want to just get out for a week and shoot, or, uh, you know, if you can do something more significant, come to an improved photography meetup, uh, or come to the 2018 improved photography retreat tickets are available right now, by the way. Um, then that's, I mean, that's a perfect opportunity to really just immerse yourself for a few days. And I mean, you think about it, an hour here, an hour there, if you're doing that each week, all you know, all year long, if you just spent a few days really immersed in it, you'd get way more time on the camera than you would a whole year otherwise. Yeah, I, I think that this is absolutely fantastic. And even, I know this is more a conversation about landscape, but no matter what it is, if, if you can get around other photographers or just force yourself in a situation where you are shooting a lot, um, you're going to see dramatic improvements in your work, whether it's shooting the same location, traveling, setting up portrait sessions for day after day for a couple of weeks straight. Just doing a lot of it is such a great boost to your work because it's it's kind of like going through a boot camp where all you're thinking about is getting that next shot and doing the best job that you can. So yeah, I, I really encourage anybody trying to step up their game in any kind of photography to do this. Yeah, I just, so well, this is a little bit random, but maybe just to kind of illustrate <laughs> it. Um, I, so I, I run a number of different blogs, and one of them I'm I'm doing with a partner, and uh, so we've been running this site, and the progress has been good, but a little bit sluggish on it, more than we would have hoped. And the other day, we kind of sat down. And we're like, "All right, what's happening? Why why aren't we seeing the progress that we would have we would like to see?" Uh, you know, we've been working at this uh, for two years, uh, and it's good, but it maybe not quite what we had hoped. And so, you know, after we thought about it for a while, we the way we do it is every Wednesday night we get together and we work on the business uh, for uh, for a couple hours. And we thought about it. and We're like, you know, if we talk, take that one hour every Wednesday night, like. 
in the course of a year, we're really only doing one week's worth of full-time work, you know? And so it's just, (laughs) we've, it feels like we've been working on it hard for a long time, but in actuality, the number of hours we've really put in just isn't enough uh, to really see things grow. And that's true with so many things, you know, you you feel like I'm exercising every day, but it's 20 minutes (laughs) uh, at the start of your day. Like you think about how much time you're sitting on your butt in your cubicle. And then that 20 minutes of your day, it's just, it's probably not going to be enough. Uh, it's true with so many things where, yes, we're working on it consistently in a little bit, but but if you never take that time to really immerse yourself, you may just never get to the next level. Well, there's that old that old uh, saying, or I don't know how old it is, the 10,000 hours to master something, right? The, mm-hmm. yeah. the, you have to invest that much time to get it. Well, that's no different with photography, of course. It's 10,000 hours, and you might even be able to say, it's 10,000 hours to get your technique down in camera and another 10,000 hours to get your technique down in post-processing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're different things. There's uh, there's probably, there's maybe even the, the two of them. So that's a lot of time that you need to get under your belt <laughs> to feel like you need to get to, to really master this stuff. And uh, so a, a whole week, it's only a little piece of that that you're going to need. And that's a good way to, to really level up on your photography spend investing that whole week. Yeah. And what I, what I think makes photography a little bit unique there is I hear actually all the time, uh, from people to say, Oh, you know, I shot at a newspaper for 15, 20 years, uh, doing photojournalism. I'm just barely starting in on photography. What camera should I buy? I get, I get that question <laughs> all the time. In fact, I saw it this week on the, on the website, um, who, you know, you did film photography or whatever for a long time, but photography is changing. It's changing fast. And so if even if you've put in a lot of time, by the time you've mastered one thing, the target moves and you're, you've got to start mastering new techniques and, and, uh, and new things, you know, maybe 10 years, you know, maybe you put your 10,000 hours in now and 10 years from now, a significant portion of photography is CGI. Like we just go photograph the landscape and then we draw in a deer, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) things are going to change. And so, uh, it's not, it's not a, a static thing like, like mastering many other things could be. Right. All right, we are going to talk a little bit um, about the your questions and answering them. We have a ton to go through. Uh, we're excited to get to them. But before we do that, we want to thank Shutterstock for sponsoring this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. So we've been talking a lot about stock photography on the, on the podcast, mostly as contributors. But most of us, if you listen to this podcast, we're media creators. Uh, we're creating blogs and YouTube channels and and we're making things for people. And so Shutterstock is a great resource for you if you are looking for royalty-free photos. Uh, But they offer more than just photos. Uh, They have video clips and music tracks, uh, really whatever media you're going to need for your next creative project, Shutterstock is a great option for you. Take advantage today of a 20% discount the company is offering for a limited time at shutterstock.com slash improve. All right, we got tons of questions, you guys. Jeff, do you want to take the first one here? I think this one is right up your alley. <laughs> uh, I, I'll pronounce his name because I met uh, he in in uh, Ireland. Uh, oh. It's pronounced guy, or it's written guy, but it's pronounced he. So oh, he, okay. thanks for submitting this one. He's asking I, about should he choose the Canon 5D Mark III or the new Canon 6D Mark II? 
tough question. They are (laughs) very similar. They are very similar. Uh, Let's go through some of the differences just to compare them. So 6D Mark II is 26.2 megapixels versus 22.3 for the 5D Mark III. So about a four megapixel difference. Four megapixels. It's not that much. It's just slightly bigger. There is the Digic 7 processor versus the Digic 5 Plus. And uh, and there could be an advantage uh, with some of the speed of the camera there. Uh, you have 45 focus points in the 6D Mark II versus 61 in the 5D3. So advantage 5D3. Uh, ISO, we don't have good uh, information yet. There's not been solid testing, so we can't really compare those. Yeah, uh, can I make a note on that too? Every time a new camera comes out, um, people want to know about the low light performance. So the way the camera manufacturers do this, so that I guess to kind of educate uh, consumers, when a new camera is announced, f- until the actual re- release date when you get your camera, all you're going to see is promotional content on those. Mm-hmm. You'll see right. quote unquote reviews by you know the Canon Explorers of Light, things like that. They're being paid to promote the brand. (laughs) So uh, unless you see, you know, truly independent reviews, uh, you know, you want to wait until that camera's reviews. And sometimes they'll do like a press junket thing where they'll bring in a bunch of people to, to use the camera for 24 hours. Those are under very controlled circumstances. I'll give you an example of that. There's a new Sony A9. They're concerned about the overheating issue that kind of right. plagued uh, previous cameras. So where did they take the press to to do the test of that camera? An ice hockey rink. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so it's those are very controlled tests, um, and they often won't let you uh, keep keep photos or or uh, you know their pre production versions, etc. So you really can't trust low light until you see the actual hands on independent reviews. Right. So, yeah, we can't really compare those two things to help make the decision. Uh, frames per second, 6.5 on the Mark on the 60 Mark II, 6 on the, so essentially tie. Um, there is the uh, very angled touch screen. So oh, that's, that is that different. Is nice. And that is a big difference. There's a lot of things that I really like. Plus it has uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. The 5D3 only had Wi-Fi. Um the size and weight that the 62 or yeah, 62 is a little uh, smaller and lighter. Um, but there's, there's uh, another thing is the shutter speed. It's only one four thousandth of a second versus one eight thousandth of a second. I don't know how you guys feel about that one. Uh, okay. So I was curious about this. Somebody was, <laughs> was lamenting that all, the only one four thousand shutter speed on the, on the Kint 60 Mark II. And so I checked in my Lightroom and I said, I wonder how many photos I've actually taken at a shutter speed of one eight thousandth in the last five years. Turns out I've taken 767 photos at that shutter speed. So benefiting by the faster shutter speed. Um, And actually a lot of them were photos that I really liked. Um, And so Alan, about half of those photos, it really did matter that it was at one eight thousandth. Everything else was kind of maxed out. Uh-huh. Um, so is it a benefit? Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's moderate 700 photos in five years, not that big of a deal. Really. Right. Right. But it's there. Yeah, so- in, in my mind, that doesn't matter at all, but that's because I mostly shoot portraits and studio stuff where, and even when I'm doing candid shots, shooting anything above one two fiftieth of a second is usually fine for right. what I'm trying. So uh, one eight thousand does. <laughs> 
matter to me in the slightest. And realistically, if I need a super, super fast shutter speed like that, I can just rely, rely on the flash duration of my, my strobes mm-hmm. to take care of a lot of that high speed stuff. stuff. Right. Yeah, the the two shoots that I looked back on that I saw, oh yeah, the one eight thousand actually was really helpful here. Was one when I was shooting hummingbirds in Costa Rica, and two uh-huh. when I was shooting a professional baseball or, or a, I think it was a semi pro baseball game uh, in the daytime, and I wanted to really freeze that picture at one four thousandth of a second. There was there was still some movement. It just wasn't quite as crisp. Um, and then one at eight thousandth. I mean, it is just absolutely frozen. So yeah, the, the, it's useful, but rarely. Could, yeah, the one instance I could think of was was sports, and and if you plan on shooting a good deal of sports, then sure, or, or maybe even dance or something like that. Something where people are going to be moving around quickly that might matter. But otherwise, I don't think that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so when it comes down to it, Jeff, five D three or sixty two. Okay. So for me, it would be price. That's where I would make the decision. It would have to be that. And you're getting five-year-old tech in a 5D3 uh, for what I think used, it's about $1,500. And you get brand new tech in the 6D2 with a few minor uh, advantages potentially for about $1,200. So it's about a $300 difference, which would make me really look at the 6D2 as a hobbyist who's going to be doing this. The one thing that would take me over to the other side though, would be the dual memory slots in the 5D versus the single memory slot in the 62. I just don't understand why they did that. That really yeah. is going to limit professional use of this camera because you want two slots. It's going to matter. I Even on my 62 or my 72 that I use, uh, and I only do you know occasional portrait shoots, those are still meaningful enough to me. I make sure I have memory cards in both slots and I write to both slots. Just, I don't want to lose them. I don't want to have to go. And it's, it shoots. I can't even redo. If we ever had a problem, I could say, Hey, let's go out again. Uh, Cause I, we had a problem. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to spend my time. I don't want to waste their time. That's a big deal to me. So I really have to think about that. I'm not itching to go to full frame anyway. So I'm not, I'm not really going to make this decision, but if I was deciding that would probably be where I'd have to really figure it out. Do I care about dual memory slots or not? I think for me, I would probably choose the 5d Mark three, but because these cameras are so similar, I I would probably just go on price and you aren't going to find a 62 used obviously right now. Right. Uh, But the 5d Mark three, you can find tons of used inventory. I found in, I found them in good condition uh, for as cheap as 1500 bucks on Amazon. That saves you $500. Um, And for 500, I'm going to take $500 uh, rather (laughs) than a camera that is just very, very similar. So for me, I'd choose the 5d Mark three, but there are good reasons for both. All right, next yeah, question is from I mean, Brian Horn. He says he's wanting to go pro. What should he do about marketing insurance, liability, and health? Oh, my. Uh, oh Connor, boy. this is right up your alley. Uh, give him some help. He says he's he's right on the fence, about ready to go. What are some helpful resources you found uh, to make it work? So surprisingly enough, especially for marketing, um, one way to learn a lot and learn a lot relatively quickly is through lynda.com. Um, it's something that I've, I've recently found that my local library has uh, just kind of a free subscription. If you have a library card, you can go in and log in and they do that for so many different institutions. Um, so I would check with your local library, see if they have that deal set up. Um, because 
it could be a free source of decent marketing material. A anything that's high, high end, I, I would say that you're probably going to have to go to experts and start asking questions for um, the exchange of money. But at least to get yourself started on a pretty decent digital marketing, marketing plan, um, just going through lynda.com or any number of blogs that have um, marketing material, marketing focus um, could be helpful. As far as insurance goes, uh, make sure that you find somebody that actually specializes in providing insurance for photographers. I was just having this conversation this last weekend with a fellow photographer that they were able to save like six or $700 a year by going um, through somebody that specifically insures photographers because they know what kind of gear actually breaks. Um, if you just go to a general, um, trying to get business insurance, trying to go to a general insurance company, they're just going to look at the dollar amount of all of your equipment and say, okay, well, you're, we need to make sure that if anything breaks, we're not killing ourselves to be able to fix it or you know, replace it. Where if somebody actually specializes in photography, they know, okay, well, realistically, your shutter's not going to go out every year. Um, we don't need to, to charge you for covering a, a camera that's going to break every single year and this that, and the other. So um, I would actually, I use Allstate and I just went into an Allstate place and said, I need an agent that actually deals with photography. Equipment. And do you hear Morgan Freeman's voice in the back of your head every time you walk in? Is it Morgan Freeman? That's it, it, on? No, it's not Morgan Freeman. Who do they have? Who is, who is that? Uh, no. Yeah. It's, he has a deep, uh, awesome voice. He does. Yeah. Whoever he is. I can't remember. Whoever. I would enjoy uh, the experience but, of walking in the store just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, seriously, it, it was like, I, I just happened to be, I pulled up something on Google and Allstate was the first one that came up with somebody that um, was somebody that was well-reviewed. And I called them and they said, oh, you know what? I don't actually do any of this. So let me refer you to the right person. And they did. And it, it's great. I, I think I pay about eh, $600 a year. For your gear insurance, or is that liability insurance? Um, it, it's it's liability and gear that I'm paying for. Okay, um, so it's it's not cheap, but it's definitely worth it. Um, I I think I have about a five hundred dollar deductible on my insurance. So realistically, if something breaks, I'm still paying a good chunk of money to replace it. But I'm covered enough that you know if if a rig falls down, if my camera falls, and you know I have a $3,000 lens on my $2,000 camera. Overall, I, I was better off to have spent that money every year. Mm -hmm. Realistically, I'm probably more concerned about the liability than the gear. Um, so make sure that you, you have somebody that has a good liability plan in case something falls on a person while you're shooting them or anything else that you do that could be potentially negligent. Um, the other thing is make sure that you have inland marine coverage, which covers in case somebody were to, if you had gear in your car and somebody broke into your car. Um, I, I don't know why it's called that, but yeah, that's so uh, weird. Search for, and it's, it's inland marine and <laughs> that will cover your gear in the case that it gets stolen as well, which is pretty useful. Like pirate insurance for the land, huh? <laughs> yeah. For, <laughs> um, for health insurance, uh, I have my, mine is through Blue Cross of Idaho. I got mine pre-Obamacare and I pay $420 a month for my health insurance. You know, because you're a photographer, you're doing it your own. It's not through work, obviously. Um, yeah. So I pay $420 a month. It covers me, my wife, and our three kids. Um, so it's a pretty, I mean, it's expensive, $420 a month. The first time I saw that, my jaw about to hit the floor. 
But that was pre-Obamacare. I talked to my insurance agent around Christmas time and I said, hey, you know, should I look at a different uh, policy, et cetera, just kind of see what's what's available? And he said, honestly, if you change anything right now, I couldn't get you anything similar for less than a thousand bucks a month. Uh, just with everything that Obamacare has done to um, insurance rates. I'm not trying to get political. I'm just saying, like, fact. Yeah. It used to be 420, and now fact. I can't get anything similar for less than $1,000 a month. Um, so if you're in that situation, uh, something you might consider is catastrophic-only insurance uh, that's obviously going to you know cover big things. Somebody gets cancer in the family, something really bad. Um, but then you'll still need some kind of coverage for, for when you know Junior breaks his arm, something like that. Um, and f- so what I might recommend if you're in that situation where just health insurance is too expensive, you can't afford $1,000 a month, but you do need something, uh, then get a catastrophic only policy that's much less expensive and then just try to sock away a little bit of money, three or $5,000 and put it in a money market account so it's separate from your bank account. You won't be tempted to just blow it on on a new camera or something, but it's there. (laughs) And then if Junior breaks his arm, you don't have to worry. You can go to the hospital. You've saved up for it. So I think... For me, at least, I think that's a pretty reasonable way to approach it if you can't afford normal health insurance. Or move to Canada, also. (laughs) (laughs) But you really, be sure if you're wanting to go pro that you are responsible with that, especially if you have a family. We had a baby this, uh, I guess, a year ago, year and one day ago. Um, That Just having the baby, and it was a normal pregnancy, everything went well. Uh, it cost $22,000 for having that baby. Um, and so if you don't have any insurance, yikes. I mean, that's that's a real problem. So uh, I know a lot of people are just wanting to go pro, but be sure to do it the right way too and make sure you're taking care of your family as you do that. All right, Ed Nisbet says the best hobbyist starter camera for under a thousand bucks. This is something we all get this question every Christmas time. Like <laughs> bombard your 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 neighborly photographer and ask him what camera to buy. What do you think? What's the state right now? What do you guys think? Uh, it really depends on what you consider a hobbyist camera. Oh yeah. Um, it, you know. It, <laughs> Honestly, I, I think if somebody's just trying to have fun and noodle around, anything in the Canon Rebel series is going to be great. Mm-hmm. If you're actually trying to fill out that $1,000 budget, though, um, going for there's there are some really great deals that you can find on a used Canon 6D. 900 right bucks. Yeah, yeah. They're, Crazy. Um, like the, the, the 5D Mark II versus the 6D, they're, they're, they're kind of parallel moves between the two of them. Um, but they're, they're both relatively affordable. Um, you know, if you're looking to get lenses on top of that as well, then um, we might be looking at, you know, the, the double digit number Canon series. So the maybe a 60 or 70 D and getting a nice prime or two. Um, and then I, I, I love Sony. I have an, a Sony a 6,000 that I use. Uh, it's, it probably is my go-to camera for a second camera before my 5D Mark II. I have, I have a 6D, a 5D Mark II, and an A6000. And I would probably 
actually go for that a6000 before i go for my 5d mark ii just really for the small size of it it's easy to carry around and it's great because you have an evf um so they, they now have the what the 6300 and the 6500 which mm-hmm. are slightly upgraded models but the electronic viewfinder that's in there can show you a live view preview of what you're shooting before you do it so it's really great for learning how the exposure triangle works and that might be the way that i would go yeah, I think this is uh, a negative for the Fuji system. Is there you can get an XT1 for under a thousand bucks easily, uh, but the focus system just wasn't quite there on the XT1. Mm. Uh, the XT2 and X Pro2 are great, very very capable cameras. Uh, I would love to see Fuji come out with you know something like the XT2, but a little bit cheaper uh, to, to kind of be the gateway drug for the Fuji system. Uh, but man. You can get a full frame camera. Uh, there are several options for you under a thousand bucks. And so, mm-hmm. if if that's what you want, and that and that uh, fits what you're wanting to accomplish, uh, boy, I would totally recommend buying used used gear. If there's a used gear available choice for whatever I'm buying, I almost always buy used. That's the challenge yeah. with people starting out on full frame, though. Would be all of the other things that you're going to have to do with it batteries, lenses, all of that. It gets into money fast. You yeah, get really get into that. Especially. That's true. So, so going, uh, I would not go full frame for a hobbyist. <laughs> you might be started. right. That's a good point. I would never go full frame on that. I would definitely stay in the used. Great. Save money on this. See if you really like this. See if you really want to go through what it's going to take to learn how to do good photography. Cause it's not a small investment in time. Yeah, and and uh, you can get really good photos on crop sensor cameras. It's just fine, and spend up way less money to figure out if this is something you love. And if it is, then you move to the full frame as you do it. Yeah. All right, the That's next the- one I think is going to be easy enough that we will have a hundred percent consensus on. Somebody's asking: Should they upgrade from the Canon 6D to the 6D Mark II? or buy a 70 to 200. I think I can unanimously speak for all of us. Skip the 60 Mark II, get the 70 yeah. to 200, no question. Yes, absolutely. No yep. question. Yeah, I, I almost did a spit take there, laughing at that. <laughs> Lens is an easy choice in that matter. Yeah. Gilbert Gachalian says, the, should he get the DJI Mavic, the drone, or the D, the new DJI Spark? So the Mavic costs a thousand bucks, and the Spark is seven hundred dollars with the controller. The Mavic has a much more capable camera. Is the Mavic good? Mavic good enough for still photos? Barely. Uh, if you're posting it on <laughs> Facebook and you don't post a version too big, you can make some things that look good. But is it something that's going to go in your portfolio or you're, you're going to print? I'm going to say no, uh, just because you really can't get even full screen on my Mac. The If, if you look at a Mavic photo, it's just not quite good enough. Um, it's close, but not quite, in my opinion. What I would consider like, hey, you know, I'm proud of this image quality. I'm going to put stuck, stick this in the portfolio. Not quite full screen, but if you post it half screen, it's still going to look good. Um, the Spark, the still photos are not great. It does some cool things like the simulated shallow depth of field, but uh, it's just not quite there for stills. For video, the Mavic is also uh, is also superior. It does the 4K video, and it really does just look nicer. So, you know, if you're a photographer, you're serious about image quality and want things to look good, 
boy, the Mavic is the way to go, in my opinion. It, it's just significantly better. Um, not as good as the DJI Phantom 4 in terms of image quality, but, but it's much better than the Spark. Um, so for a photographer, I'm going to go with the Mavic, but that cool, that cool little spark is just awesome. I think it's a neat little device. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Next question is, do I bring my gear or just go point and shoot for summer vacations? What do you guys do when you're on vacation, but you want to do a little shooting? Uh, this is, this is a problem that I always have because (laughs) I am terrible about packing light anywhere I go. Um, so even when I try packing light, it's still relatively heavy. Personally, that's one of the reasons why I love my Sony a6000 because I can bring a lens or two and a6000 and it's still not that big. Um, if, I, if I had all the, the, the trinity of lenses and of my full frame camera and everything, I probably wouldn't bring that unless I was planning on shooting a lot while I was there. If it's an actual family vacation where I'm just trying to go and relax and have a good time, I'd say you're, you're probably better off to just take snapshots and enjoy yourself um, because otherwise you're going to be beating yourself up knowing that you have some nice camera that, uh, do I want to lug this thing around while I'm hiking around this city all day? The answer is probably no. Um, if, you're, if you're going on a vacation with the intention of taking some time to shoot, then sure. But otherwise I say no. So I, I, my answer would be depends on where you are as a photographer. <laughs> I, I, we just barely plan. We're going to go on a San Diego vacation as a family later this year. Cool. And, uh, and yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be fun, but I'm going to be three days on a beach in San Diego. And if I don't have a camera to try to capture that with, I will be like, <laughs> it will not be good. <laughs> I won't be having fun. I will be sitting there the whole time thinking, I wish I had my camera. I wish I had my camera. And so I'm going to bring my camera because I know that's where I'm at. If you're not there, if it's not going to bug you that you're sitting in a beautiful location and, and have a point and shoot, then that's fine. And, and you could do that. But I know for me, I'll be miserable sitting there watching these awesome sunsets on the beach and I don't have a camera. Yeah, that's 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 a good point, Jeff. I I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that that you're you know the hobbyist photographer and Con- Connor is uh, immersed in photography all the sure, time, doing it sure. as a professional. That it's like, not that like when I go on vacation, I don't feel like oh I want to break from photography. I it makes me want to do photography actually. Yeah. But it doesn't feel as urgent, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, and so maybe maybe that's the difference. Sure. There. For me, that could be. When I go on vacation with the family, I just shoot with my cell phone. And usually I'm trying to shoot more videos because like when we just look at old family photos and stuff, we're usually just hunting around trying to find the videos. They seem a little bit more fun, just like memories and things. But um, but what I I always bring my, my bag with me of, of gear and I'll just try to set one de- dedicated time. You know, I'm going to go shoot this sunset or this sunrise um, and then the rest of the time, I'm just walking around, enjoying time with family and shooting photos with my cell phone. All right. it uh, We are going to talk about the doodads of the week uh, with uh, some good ones here. But before we do that, I want to give a couple announcements. Um, one, for those of you who are kind of new to the Improved Photography Podcast, the podcasts have really, really been growing over the last six months. The listenership has gone up significantly, the Improved Photography Podcast. 
Um, so if you're new and still trying to figure out what exactly is happening, uh, the Improved Photography Podcast is going to hit your phone uh, every Thursday night. And then on every Monday, you'll see a new episode of of either um, Tripod, our landscape photography show, Jeff Harmon's Photo Taco, uh, Connor and Erica's uh, portrait session, or Latitude from Brian and Brent. And so uh, you'll kind of see those two different uh, two different types of podcasts coming in to the podcast on onto this feed every single week. And also the really good photo spots app. Um, it, we are very close to submitting to Apple. We had one last thing we had to track down. I just want to keep everybody updated. I know it's been a long time working on that, but want to get it right. All right. The doodads of the week, Connor, what do you have for us? So recently I had an issue with my Wacom tablet in that I dropped it and might have shorted out the connection <laughs> of where the cable plugged into the, the tablet. But thankfully I had black tie protection. Um, so I was able to, to go back to Best Buy where I had bought it and exchange it. And they didn't have the previous, the now old model of the Wacom tablets anymore. So thankfully they didn't make me pay any extra and I got the upgraded new 2017 version of the Wacom Intuos Pro. And it's, it's pretty nice. It's similar to um, any other Wacom tablet that you may have had. But one thing that I love about it is that the body of it is a lot smaller. So the working space is the same size as the medium version that I had had before, but the body itself is probably the size of the small Wacom Intuos Pro tablet that um, of the previous generation. The, the buttons are slightly different feeling. They're kind of more indented and easier to find when you're just not looking at them. And it's the same thing with the click wheel. Um, the one other thing that I really love about it is that instead of having a, a kind of wireless dongle that you have to plug into a USB port, it has Bluetooth support now. Um, the Bluetooth has been a little bit buggy here and there, um, but it seems to be more of a driver issue from what I've been experiencing because when I've unloaded the software and loaded it back on, it seemed to work again. So I, I think while it might be a little bit early after the release to have everything fixed, I'm pretty sure that that's something that's going to be taken care of yeah. in the coming months because when I contacted support about it, they seemed to be well aware of the issue and that they were working on it. Very good. Well, I'm going to share a website with you that will save you money instead of spending it uh, because I usually uh, sometimes have too expensive of doodads of the week uh, But this time, because I'm always looking at cool stuff. Uh, but this week it will save you. It is called camelcamelcamel.com. That's three camels. Um, and this is a cool site to defend you from Amazon Prime Day. So Amazon <laughs> Prime Day is coming up, I think, next week. And they always make this, you know, big push like it's going to be amazing sales. Every time I log on to Prime Day, like like last year, I logged on and the big ad that like their top thing was men's underwear. I was like, nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad I checked in <laughs> on this sale. <clears throat> Anyway, what Camel 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 does for you is you can take any link from Amazon or several other sites and you just, uh, you know, I'm thinking about buying this product. You post it in Camel 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 and it will tell you what the price of that product has been on Amazon over the last several years. And so that you can see if it's actually a good deal uh, or if it's something that they've marked up and then just slightly discounted, etc. Um, and all the time, especially like memory card deals, it's tough tough to know if you don't watch them all the time, kind of what, what a actually good sale is on memory cards. 
And so before I buy a memory card, I always check camel, 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 because uh, you can see uh, if you're really getting the best deal or if you need to wait another month and it's going to go on sale. So that's my recommendation this week. Awesome. And for me, I'm going to recommend a ball head. So I've, I've been on a journey to get my gear upgraded over many years now, uh, slowly doing it just as I, I have the extra money and the hobbyist budget here to, to get that. And um, I got to the, the Trinity of lenses. So I have all the focal lengths covered now in some, in some good glass. I've, I've mostly gone Tamron there and it's been great. And uh, it was finally to the point now where the ball head, or at least I wouldn't even call it a ball head, the head that came on my Enduro tripod <laughs> was one of the factors that was limiting me. And so I finally have upgraded. I went with, I think it's pronounced Siru. I don't know. I, I saw recently a Suray. Suray. Oh, okay. Anyway, doesn't matter how it's pronounced. S-I-R-U-I. <laughs> it's the K40X 54 millimeter ball head. Um, my requirements as I went into this, I had to buy with Amazon points. I didn't want to spend any money. So it's just whatever we get earned on Amazon. I have prime. So we're getting those points racked up as we use Amazon, which we use too much of obviously. And, and so I had enough points to be able to buy it, but I needed, I needed the tripod to be available through Amazon so I could buy it with points and it needed to be not too overly expensive. So it, it was $160 with the prime account to get the ball head. And it just went right on my enduro tripod legs. So I just took off the old head and put on the new one. The other thing that it did cost me though, is I needed to get new quick release plates. I had the repl the plates that were there for the enduro head were very specific. They're not standard. They're just they're They were enduro specific stuff. And uh, so that wasn't going to work on the new head. So I had to get release plates. I got an L bracket to do it instead of just getting a, a release plate too. And, uh, and that's all, all together. It was uh, you know, like less than $300 and it was all covered by points. And it was, it's been fabulous. I used it last night in the 4th of July fireworks that I was, uh, I was uh, capturing. And it was so nice to have that ball head, a very big improvement over what I've had previously with that Enduro head that came with the Enduro tripod legs. Awesome. Yeah, I've heard is, good things about that one. Head. Yeah, this is the same one I have. This is the beefier of the two, right? They have a it small is. and a big one. Yeah, so that's something to look out for is that they have the K40 and uh, there's one that I feel like the number was higher despite the fact that it was a smaller <laughs> right. head. But yeah, I can attest to the fact that I've been using mine for a long while and it's fantastic. I love yeah. it. Yeah, there's some some weird uh, design decisions. Like they they have the knobs in a place different from like the scales of the numbers. That like, why didn't they put that on the other side? That would have made <laughs> yeah. more sense to me. But it's totally working, and I've used it to do some panels. Now it's been so nice to have that scale there, and I get really perfect overlap on the panels, and it's it's really helped me a lot. I'm, it's totally been worth the money to upgrade that head. Very cool. Well, Jeff and Connor, uh, it was fun to sit down and chat with you guys for uh, a little bit. It's always good to talk with you, and thanks for sharing everything. Listeners, I appreciate your download of the podcast and your support. We do have, for those of you who are new, we have the Improved Photography Podcast Facebook group. So there's just an Improved Photography page, but then we also have a group, uh, the Improved Photography Podcast group, and that's where we're all kind of chatting behind the scenes. And so... Uh, be sure to check that out. We are carefully monitoring that, trying to keep all the all the spam out, and it seems to be working. Um, how we've kind of switched things up much, much easier than it used to be. Um, so check that out, and uh, we will see you in another. Well, not even seven days. I can't even say that anymore because we're, <laughs> we're going to see you on Monday. 
uh, with a <laughs> with a different podcast. I we'll see you when we see you. <laughs>